All right, here we go on a Monday. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Welcome to the show. Last time I saw you was at Allegiant Stadium on Saturday. Running home. UNLV football. Big win. Yeah, huge win. Uh, Jared, how confident are you that we are on the air right now? Let's go 70%. Okay. Jared has been running around the entire station this morning doing, I don't know exactly what he's been doing, but he was, there were people yelling job. in the hallway. I mean, five minutes ago, I did not think we would be on the air at the moment. So over 50%, that's a, that's a good number. I'll take that this morning. There, you know, there are people rejoicing out there hearing nothing. <laughs> they tune in hoping we're off the yes, air. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the first bite. After a 4-0 preseason, do you believe the Raiders will outperform expectations this season? A little wordy this morning. You're welcome, Jared. Yeah. It's going to sound a little crazy. I think they're going to be good. Look at you. You've well, come I am, around. I am Mr. Positive. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I've come around. I always had him with a winning record. Wasn't that positive? That's expectation. What's their win? Their win total is eight and a half, right? Eight and a half. Has yeah. it gone up or down? I don't think so. I don't think. Eight no, and a half. No, that's not going to go up. So, remember last week, we had... Um, the fun math that uh, basically said there is a correlation between the preseason and the regular season for point uh, differential. And the Raiders were plus 41 in their four preseason games. They basically dominated over the course of the preseason. And that's despite uh, Carr, Adams, Renfro, Waller, Miller, Jones, Crosby, pretty much their top six, seven players, not playing a single snap. So... Basically, they they performed well, even without their best players. But I think what this comes down to is how many opportunities did we get to see starters against starters in the preseason? And we saw a little bit of the offensive line in the first game against Jacksonville. Granted, Jacksonville didn't use all of its starters, but they, they put Trayvon Walker out there. The offensive line did not look very good. We got to see a little bit. Against Miami, the Dolphins used some starters. Uh, their Miami's offense was not very good. And the Raiders' offensive line, also, again, not very good. And then we got to see actually quite a bit because the Patriots played Mac Jones and their starters for a while. And the Raiders dominated the Patriots in their last preseason game on Friday. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I am going to basically change the thoughts on how good the Raiders are going to be this year because I think they're winning nine games, right? And I, think I think we both have them at nine and eight. Yeah. And I, I think they're going to finish ahead of Denver mm-hmm. in the AFC West. I don't know if I, after the preseason, think that they're going to win 10 or 11 or think that they're going to finish ahead of Kansas city or LA in the AFC West, but you walk away from that. And I, I think the two main things right now, number one, I think the defense is going to be a little bit better than expected. Mm-hmm. I, I do think like, and, and granted, it depends on where your expectation level is. My expectation level is the defense is the 25th best defense in the league. I think it'll be a little bit better, a little closer to average this season. And then the other side is, I think we've confirmed, we have enough evidence that the offensive line is going to be awful. Awful? Awful. I don't know about awful. You you think they're going to be? I mean, I think they're going to be. What's a tick above awful, below average? <laughs> awful's so, pretty strong. So if we were, if you were, not that either one of us have enough knowledge to rank one through 32 offensive lines, but when I say awful, I mean like bottom three, bottom four in the league. Like I think we're talking about, oh, the Raiders offensive line is the 29th best in football. 
this wow. season. You think they'll be 20, 25, 25, okay. 24, 25. So a little bit better than awful. I just, I, Colton Miller should make a difference. Yes. But who else on that offensive line is good? I think Andre James is pretty good. Is he good or is he I like, he's pretty good. Is he just an average offensive lineman that we've, we're now conditioned to say, oh, he's good. Cause he's the second best on the team. My mom has confirmed we are on the air. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mom. It's very important. I think Andre James is pretty good. I do. I like, don't think like I'm end, not saying he's I'm not saying it's just because everyone stinks around him. Because <laughs> I think that might be part of the problem. So at the end of the year, you think we're saying Andre James is a top ten center in the NFL? Where do you end up football focus last like, year? I thought he's pretty good. Twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. Well, there's only there's only thirty two oh, well, teams okay, and so he's a center. There, so. so I'm gonna say top fifteen. So he'd be a above average Yeah, above average center. center. Um okay. And I'll and I'll say this: even if he is, that means the Raiders still probably have three bad offensive linemen lined up around him. And this is this is what's fascinating to me. Now Brandon Parker is going to miss the 2022 season. He was placed on IR before the 53-man roster cut, which means he cannot come off IR for the rest of this season. So Brandon Parker done for the year. And what that means is that this offseason, the Raiders have lost three. Offensive lineman, Richie Incognito retired. Denzel Good retired. Brandon Parker has a season-ending injury. They have only added one offensive lineman, and that was Dylan Parham through the draft with a mid-round pick. Not even like they used a first-round pick, a mid-round pick. So the offensive line was one of the weakest parts of the team last year. And then into this offseason, the Raiders have lost three guys. Meanwhile, they have only added one player. I just have zero expectation this offensive line is going to be anything other than atrocious. You've gone from awful to atrocious. It's is the there same thing, word? is it? Eh, is atrocious, atrocious worse than awful? Atrocious is worse where, than where awful. does horrible rank on the scale? Uh, where do you think, Jared? It's Well, atrocious is the worst. Awful. I think awful and horrible are a lot closer Okay, than where, what about horrific? That now means literally. Into, now you're getting into scary words. Well, yeah, that's like, that, that literally means it's going to cause horror. What do you think Derek Carr is going to do after week one when he goes to bed at night? I mean, check Tom Brady's stats. So, <laughs> good thing that guy didn't come. It's just, I don't think we're allowed to joke about concussions anymore. Who has a concussion? Probably Derek Carr. After oh. <laughs> Ed was talking about Tom Brady being a Raider. <laughs> So I just think we've seen enough to suggest this offensive line is going to be really, really bad because the few times they've gone up against starters, they have not looked good. And more concerningly, even when they haven't gone up against starters, they've looked really bad. When they line, when Khalil Mack and Bosa are lined up against them in week one against the Chargers, what, what exactly do we think is going to happen? It's not going to be pretty for the Raiders offensive line. I mean, again, I'll say 25th. <laughs> I'm not going to say they're going to be awful, atrocious, horrific, terrible, all the, all those uh, words you've used to describe the offensive line. Okay, if uh, maybe hor- horrific for Derek Carr. Horrific. I think that's fair. Really? All right, well, we'll see. I mean, if he's going to have horrible I'm nightmares. I'm not saying they're good. I said they're, what did I say? I said below average. So let me ask you this. Would you use horrific, awful, atrocious to describe the Patriots? Well, I'll tell you one thing that, and that's what I didn't know about how bad the Patriots were because it was pretty much the Raiders' second D, right? Yeah. It was their second D against the Patriots, one zero, and the Patriots looked terrible. 
They look terrible with Mac Jones. Wait, where does terrible fit on this scale? Uh, way below, way below horrific. Horrific's probably your worst, uh, your okay. worst one that you put out there. So, Mac Jones plays in the final preseason game, and he did complete nine of thirteen passes, which is a decent completion which percentage. Is but, amazing given how that looked. But for seventy-one yards, right? That's five and a half yards per attempt. That's dink yeah, and dump, right? That's that's absolutely nothing. And the Patriots scored a total of six points in that game. None in the first quarter. Jones actually did play into the second quarter, but none in the first quarter. And I I think maybe more importantly, what we learned in the preseason, not so much about the Raiders, but that the Patriots are not going to be close to a playoff team this year. Like not close. Like we're going into this year and we've talked about the AFC and how tough it is and how there's, what is it? Like 12 teams in the AFC that probably think they're going to the postseason. I've had the or the Patriots is one of those 12 teams. I, that team's not going to the postseason. That team's probably not going to be close to the postseason. That's probably the 11th or 12th best team in the AFC. And so maybe that uh, is more important. The more important takeaway from the preseason than anything about the that Raiders. And the Raiders are a lot better yeah. than them. Yes, the, the, the Raiders are a, st- a clear step above the Patriots, which is a good thing because that's a team you need to be better than to go to the postseason. And maybe, I don't think we can say this as definitively, they're probably a step above the Dolphins too, right? Yeah. I, yeah. The Raiders? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so, they are. I mean, I, I think I feel more confident saying that about the Patriots and the Dolphins right now, but I, I do think we might have learned from the preseason, yeah, the Raiders are probably better than the Dolphins and the yeah. Patriots, which is a good thing because, again, there's 12 teams for seven spots, and you're going to have to be better than, what is that, five of them, and Dolphins and Patriots would be two, and you just got to be better than three other teams, and we might be going into this year pretty confidently saying, oh, yeah, they're better than the Dolphins and they're better than the Patriots, which knocks off two of five teams they need to be better than to make the postseason. I think you're right. I think I was surprised. I've got to be honest. I was surprised at how bad the Patriots were against the second second Raiders defense. It was. They were awful, horrific, terrible, (laughs) atrocious. we, We got to see three days, right? Two joint practices. And then an actual game. And that's why the joint practices to me were when we saw the starters for the Raiders, that's all I needed to see. I didn't really need to see them in that game. And so the reports were, and I know you guys were 17 football fields away, so maybe the reports. It was difficult. Right. But pretty much all the reports were about how dominant the Raiders were in day one of that joint practice. Their offense, yes. And then from what people were saying, not as dominant the second day, but Devontae Adams was still the best player on the field. Yes. And basically, you had three days of the Raiders being better than the Patriots. Yes. Two joint practices and, and an actual game. preseason game, which is, listen, if you're going to tell me both those teams are competing for a playoff spot and they had three days and the Raiders were better all three days, the Raiders are going to be better right. than the Patriots, right? If it was going to be close, the Patriots would have won the preseason game or the Patriots would have won the second day of the joint practice or something. But They from, did neither. Right. But from everything that we heard or actually saw they in the neither. game, that's not accurate. So. That's where we are. Um, one last thing about the preseason game. Do the Raiders need to keep Isaiah Zuber on the roster simply oh. because he caught a pass yes. and had an and, interception? And he ran down on punting kick coverages, according to Josh McDaniels. So this guy <laughs> this is, the- is an all-around talent. <laughs> and Zuber, I don't know if Zuber makes it. He's. I mean, I have not seen... carry five or six. All the, Everybody in the media that does a... Uh, roster three. projection. He only carried one Zuber. 
everybody in the in the media that's done a roster projection, I have not seen Isaiah Zuber on anybody's right. roster projection. So it'd be a shocker if he did. But like, come on, that you put the guy in at safety because it's the fourth preseason game, and I don't know, do they run out of safeties to play? And he has an interception. That, start him over Jonathan Abram. What are we doing here? <laughs> come on. What are we doing here? What? Okay, I give you until. What week of the season does Jonathan Abram have his first interception? I don't know if he has an interception. Okay. Are, I was going to say, could we go the whole year? But, like, are we going to go the whole year and Isaiah Zuber has more interceptions in the preseason than uh, Jonathan yeah, Abram Yeah, I just think it hurts uh, Isaiah Zuber's real position that he's not going to make the team because I just don't think they're going to carry that many receivers. Yeah, but carry him anyway and play him at both. And, and play him at both. Yeah, yeah. And if he's going to run on special teams, I mean, the guy would never going to come off the field. You haven't seen him on any 53? No, I can't. I yeah, I've I've read a couple of them and haven't seen Isaiah Zuber listed as a potential actual option at the wide receiver group. But again, maybe the media needs to start considering him as a safety because <laughs> he had an interception. Who has an interception? All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV football because they're one and zero for the first time under Marcus Arroyo. Shotgun formation, Vanderwall to quarterback. Play action fake to Gasu. Back to throw. Going deep down the middle field. Has an open man. It's caught at the 15-10 touchdown. It's caught by wide receiver Jalen Johnson out of Corona, California. And the Idaho State Bengals with a 55-yard bomb to get on the scoreboard late in the first quarter. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Marcus Arroyo is 1-0. He's got three wins as the head coach of UNLV overall. After UNLV beat Idaho State 52 to 21, they led 45 to 7 at halftime. They scored on every single possession of the first half. That 55 yard touchdown is actually the only time they gave anything up on defense in the first half. Ed, how good is Doug Brumfield going to be this season? Well, if he plays like the other day, he's going to be terrific. Um, I thought the guy was fantastic the other day. And here's the thing. People are going to say opponent. You know what? You play who's there. And you, ben, you kick, ben the, you kick their butt. Ben Wallace just fell down and kind of scared me. Sorry. <laughs> what happened? Ben, ben Wallace, Wallace just fell, fell over. Oh, the giant ben Wallace, six, the giant Ben Wallace we have in the studio just fell ben down. Wallace fell down. And he, he almost hit you. He, yeah, I was a little worried there. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I thought uh, I thought he was terrific. <laughs> 21 to 25, 356 or four TDs. Um didn't turn the ball over, which I thought was important. And like I was going to say, I thought, uh, you know, like hearing people in the press box, well, it's opponent, it's opponent. Well, you know what? You beat the hell out of people you're supposed to beat the hell out of, which they did. You beat people you're supposed to, and then you try to win some games that you're not supposed to, and that's how you get to uh, get flirting around six with a bowl game. So I thought Doug Brumfield was really, really good. I thought he was really good. So in that game, Doug Brumfield looked excellent, and he made some – very good throws. Um, he hit, I think the route they threw the most that I was impressed with, they ran a corner route a few times and he made a perfect throw sort of before the safety could that could get there a couple of times. Um, or I think Arroyo deserves some credit for getting wide receivers open during the game. And also I think Idaho state deserves some blame for, you know, being Idaho state, right? I, well, the stat was Idaho state had 51 new players on their mm-hmm. roster. They have a first year head coach, 51 new players. Like that's, that's an FCS team that has a ton of turnover. So that was expected to be a bad team going into that game. But I think like one of the best examples from that game that sort of encompasses all three of those aspects, there was a play where Doug Brumfield stood in the pocket, looked downfield, 
No one was open, so he turned and threw to the flat. And it was a good job by Brumfield to go through his reads and then say, okay, I'm going to take the check down, right? That's a great thing to see from a quarterback at UNLV. The wide receiver that caught the ball in the flats, there was nobody within 15 yards of him, right? Like UNLV just had a guy hanging out at the line of scrimmage and Idaho State, just nobody near him. So that was also a good sign of, oh, Idaho State might not know what they're doing out there a lot of the times, but at least Doug Brumfield was able to go through a couple reads and then say, okay, I'm going to take the check down there. So I thought there was almost everything you could want from Doug Brumfield in that game. You got um, the two two concerns, though, because you said he didn't turn the ball over. He very easily. Again, well, he could have. Could have two. two. They um, dropped two. He had probably the worst pass of the game where he was under pressure, uh, got hit right after he threw, overthrew his receiver, and it hit, I mean, hit the safety in the hands. Right. It was just a lollipop that hit the safety in the hands, and the safety just drop the ball and then on the first possession of the game Brumfield not under any pressure at all just fumbled the ball in the pocket I think that was maybe his first snap yeah just dropped the ball in the pocket and if their safety is competent enough to catch a easy that, that was not a hard ball to catch either and if somebody falls on that that's not from UNLV that fumble then Brumfield has two turnovers in the first half of that game and we're having a different conversation today about how good the quarterback play is because they're probably not up 45 to seven at halftime. So there's certainly, there were certainly two plays in that game that could have very, very easily been a turnover, but I thought he threw 25 passes. Only two of them stuck out to me as like, Ooh, that was not a great pass. And I think if you're UNLV, your quarterback throws it 25 times, you're probably okay with two passes being, mm-hmm. Ooh, that probably wasn't the right place to go with it or just a bad pass overall. So I, very impressed. And the other part of it, UNLV, they changed it. They changed some in the second half because it was 45 to seven. They didn't run the ball in the first half. They Arroyo came out and they were just throwing it. And Brumfield was awesome. And I would love to see that. I would love to see an offense that is built around, hey, we're going to throw it 75% of the time. Because if your quarterback's going to be good, that's the best way to win. Yeah. That's the best way to score points is to have him throw the ball down the field. So I was extremely impressed with Doug Brumfield. Um, very, I thought, I think Arroyo did a good job. I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think Brumfield deserves the most credit. And there's also the caveat of Idaho state's probably not any good. And UNLV, I'm going to, I'll, I'll guess maybe Hawaii, Hawaii might be awful too, but every team UNLV plays from here on out will be significantly better than Idaho state. The other person I thought really played well was Ricky white. Yeah. Uh, that guy is good. The Michigan state transfer, um, I think 180 yards in receiving, um, eight eight catches. Uh, he he was he was terrific. And again, is he going to be that wide open against better people? Probably not. But he he was very very good. So Ricky White had 182 yards receiving. He did not play in the second half. So yeah, Brownfield one... only played one play, which was weird. And I don't know if it was an equipment <laughs> issue I'm guessing with Harrison it was. Bailey. I think it had to be because he came in. <laughs> On the second play of the second half, right. I believe, completed a pass and then immediately ran off. And then the immediately field. ran off the field. That had to be some kind of. If it issue. wasn't a, if it wasn't an equipment, if that was somehow planned from Arroyo to throw Brumfield out for one play. No, I don't think that was. It can't be. No, but yeah, no. So Ricky White doesn't play in the second half. Had eight catches for one eighty-two. He had a seventy-two-yard touchdown, which catch. was a very nice pass. Yeah, by the it way. was. They got one-on-one coverage. Ricky White got a step behind his defender. Brumfield, perfect pass over perfect the top, pass. and White ran away from him. Even if you took away the 72-yard touchdown, Ricky White still had 100 yards 
in the first half alone. That was as dominant of a wide receiver performance as we've seen in a long time. From UNLV used to, the, the Devontae Boyd years. They, UNLV's had some really good receivers, but it's been a little while since we've seen truly dominant wide receiver play. That was phenomenal. I think that's the that's your excitement level for UNLV is that you saw Doug Brumfield and Ricky White connect, and that if they can do that a couple of times each game, get a big chunk play, that could be what changes a lot of those one score losses into one score wins. All right. We have to we have to talk about this before we go because I thought this was somewhat hilarious. You saw the clip as as Adam and I did when we're sitting there of this twelve year old. <laughs> Who is that kid? I have no idea. I don't know if it's the coach's son or whoever, but <laughs> it was right at the end of the first half. And this, I mean, we're saying twelve year old because we're guessing how old he is. Um, they're they're deciding what to do right there at the end of the first half, and you see this twelve year old kid run up to the head coach. And start, I think, pointing at the scoreboard. Something, yeah. He was pointing at the scoreboard, whether it was how much time was left or whatever. But the amazing thing is the coach is listening to the oh. kid. I oh. mean, he was engaged right. with this 12-year-old. Yeah. And we are like, who is this kid right. telling the coach what to do? It was very strange. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 guessing it was his son. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say because I don't know for sure. But it was very strange that this, this kid appeared to be saying what to do there at the end of the first half and like pointing at the scoreboard. So what I like to imagine happened here. So the scenario was Idaho state had the ball uh, at the very end of the the first half and UNLV actually started running to the locker room, but then Idaho state called timeout with three seconds left because I don't know, maybe they thought they could throw a hail Mary or something like that. They didn't do anything with the last three seconds, but they called the timeout. So UNLV had to go run back to their sideline, play the last snap. But while UNLV's running off the field is when we get the clip of the 12-year-old kid running up to the coach and having a very serious conversation about it. So after I saw that at halftime, the second half, I tried to find this kid all oh, the time. Oh, I found him a couple times. And yeah. he spent the majority of the second yeah. half sitting on the bench, yes, throwing the football with there were a couple other kids yeah. that were out there, and then high-fiving the players as they came off the yeah. field. Like, that's absolutely somebody's son, somebody on the staff's son, who's just there having a great time. Like, I'm on the sideline for a college football game, but for some reason, he's, like, in charge of timeouts for Idaho State <laughs> or something. I don't know what it is, it but, like, so strange. he's the timeout coordinator for Idaho State. And the coach is, that's the thing, the coach isn't shooing him away saying, Jimmy, you got to get <laughs> right. him. The coach is looking at him, yeah. engaging with he, him. He's like, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, we, we should try one more. <laughs> he's like, that's a great yeah. point. Good job, Billy. We like that idea. So it was great. Uh, but that's who UNLV beat was a team coached by like their special that, teams coordinator, a 12 year old. That kid in a couple of years, he's going to get like the Lions head coaching job. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Coming up next, we'll jump back into the Raiders with Q Myers. It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with. So we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of going on. So. You know, you just got to try to figure out light the best you can. And, you know, it's a uh, continuous process. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now, you can hear him over on Raider Nation Radio on Unnecessary Roughness every day. Q Myers. Good morning, Q. Good morning, how Q. Hey, how you guys doing, man? All, All right. right. We'll, we'll get to the Raiders here, but um, important man, Q question. sounds clear. He does. Man. <laughs> That's what we do. Hey, only the best for the press box, baby. (laughs) Unbelievable. This isn't a phone line. I don't know what it is, but it's nice. Uh, Before we get to the Raiders, do you believe the Patriots are just going to be bad this year? Actually, you know, it's funny to say I do. And I'm scared to say that out loud because Bill (laughs) Belichick's earned the right to, 
you know, kind of have a plan that we don't always know, but it's going to get executed and they're going to play at a high level. But, man, I'll tell you, it feels like that they're going to be bad. You know, from what I saw from joint practices for a couple days and then up close and personal with that preseason game on Friday, and I wouldn't take a whole lot from a preseason game except for the fact that they were playing their ones against the Raiders' backups, and the ones looked like their backups. I mean, they just (laughs) didn't look very good. So I'll give Bill Belichick credit because he's earned that. But man, I don't. I just. I don't expect them to make the playoffs. Let's put it like that. That's for sure. On the flip side, does four zero mean anything to you? Um, I. I think that they, as far as wins, obviously no. I mean, I know Foster Moreau told me in the locker room that wins matter. Every player I talked to in the, in the locker room said it. It matters to win the games. Uh, we know that it doesn't really matter in the preseason. I think that it's just attention to detail that this Raiders team hasn't had in years. I think that that's what this really showing, that this is a more disciplined team. Now, is that going to translate in the regular season? Who knows? But you see the games. They have, what, four penalties one week. They have two penalties another week. Friday they had one penalty. I mean, things like that, I think that carries over to the regular season. So uh, I think that they won those games. They went 4-0 because they had the attention to detail, didn't have stupid penalties, and didn't shoot themselves in the foot. So that part of it, I think, carries over. All right, Alex Leatherwood, Cleveland Furl. Do they both make the 53-man roster? Clee, yes. Alex, no. I, I just oh. I don't see it. Um, I th- and I thought that, no no joke, I thought on Friday going into the game that Clee was probably on the roster bubble, but I think he did just enough, especially with the injuries that they've had and the guys they've put on IR. They don't have a lot of depth at the defensive line position. I think that they keep him around for depth. But Alex Leatherwood, I think he knows he's on his way out. I think all of Raider Nation knows he's on his way out. Uh, he skeet-skirted out of the, the locker room, so we didn't get to talk to him following the game. Um, he even left the locker room without his shoes, Alan, at first because he didn't want to talk to us. <laughs> and then once we got caught up talking to Clee, he, he, he scurried back in, grabbed his shoes, and left. So kind of tells you the state of mind of Alex Leatherwood right now. So, well, most people think it was, you know, he wasn't a first-round pick last year, but they made him one. Gruden and Mayock made him one, and yeah. he probably wasn't deserving. But in terms of whether it's the dead cap hit or whatever they're going to have to endure, this really shows you that uh, – they're not impressed by him, and they don't really care what comes with that. I agreed. You know, and that's another reason I think Klee stays on the roster because as, as, as far as the, the, the salary goes, I don't think that they care about the hit, but I, I do think they care about multiple hits, right? So if, if Klee were to be gone and Alex were gone, that's two massive hits on the salary cap, and I don't think that they're in a position to do that. So I think that they say either or and realize that Alex is just not – you know, it's not even that he's not good at his job. I think he's so much in his head right now, there's no turning back. And I was there at practice, and Ed, you were too, and I can identify when his confidence was broken, and it was a Chandler Jones rep, and Chandler Jones whooped him. It was bad. We were standing on the defensive side of the, of the practice field, and Chandler Jones went around him so fast – and just whooped him and then celebrated afterwards. And you saw Alex Leatherwood immediately take a knee, and then he walked to the sideline, and then he walked back, took another knee. He just he looked like he was in a different place. And I feel like that, that was the moment where he was wrecked in, uh, in practice, and he hasn't been the same since. So we've seen a couple of reports nationally about the Raiders potentially trading Alex Leatherwood. Yeah. I have a hard time believing another NFL team would be willing to give up an asset to take on him plus what his contract is, given that he's got three years left on his rookie deal. Right, exactly. That's going to be the biggest holdup is the the money, right? I, I could see someone maybe giving up a seventh-round pick in 2024, a sixth-round pick in 2024, uh, like the Raiders have picked up a couple picks already. Uh, but it, uh, you're right. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't trade for a guy that I 
feel like is on the way out with that salary. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The teams are smarter than that. I mean, there's a reason why Jimmy G is still in San Francisco, right? They just they don't trade for those kind of salaries if they don't have to. There's a reason why Kenyon Drake had to be released because of his salary, uh, and that wasn't even a whole lot of money. So, yeah, I don't see a team making that move. I think they'll just wait for him to get released, which ultimately I do believe ends up happening. So if this is the starting offensive line, how good or bad is it? I think it's decent. I think it's decent with the chance to be better, right? I think it's obviously the Achilles heel of the team, and probably early on in the season for sure, until they can gel, uh, Derek's going to have to get the ball out of his hands pretty quick. So you might not see a whole lot of deep shots. Uh, but look, 15 sacks they gave up in four preseason games. That's not good. I mean, there's no way that you can shine that up and make it sound like it's, it's decent. It's bad. You know what I mean? It's just there's one way to describe that bad so um yeah that's the, what they're gonna have to work on and if they want to have the season that they believe that they can have it's all going to depend on what they do in the trenches how that offensive line comes together i think again they can come together i just think it's going to take a little bit of time since they're just figuring out who the final five are do you believe there will be a player cut by another team uh here in the next uh, few days that would be good enough to walk in and start for the raiders I don't know. See, that's that's a great question, and we've had this debate on Raider Nation Radio 920 a few times because I keep saying how much teams need their quarterback protected. So if the guy's good enough to walk in off the street and be a starter, why wouldn't that team keep him? You know, and I, I get it that sometimes it's a salary cap thing. It's a numbers game. I get it. But for the most part, I feel like the really good ones are going to be, I don't know, already employed. So I think that there's a couple guys out there like Daryl Williams who played in Buffalo last year. He's still out there on the free agent market. I don't think that they're going to get a guy from outside that's being cut. I think they'll get a guy from the outside that's a free agent at the time. Did you see enough in the two joint practices where you were okay with the Stars not playing at all? Um, I feel like it was, yeah, pretty much. I think it was, it was okay. Um, I did want to see Trayvon Mullen get some burn. That's for sure. That's the guy that I thought needed to get some burn. I thought it was a mistake that we didn't see him out there just because, I mean, he was on pup list. He only played five games last season. Uh, didn't really get a whole lot of practice time when he was in those two, two joint practices. I didn't see anything that really wowed me from him. Again, it was kind of hard to see two fields away, but I didn't see anything that wowed me from Mullen. So I thought he should have been out there getting some action. But for the most part, I know what Devontae Adams brings. I know what Alex, uh, what um, Derek Carr could bring and, and so on and so forth. So I, I was okay with those guys sitting out. But, yeah, uh, Trayvon Mullen really needed some action. On Wednesday, Darren Waller can officially hire a new agent. What yep. do you think happens this week with him? Man, that's a that's a fantastic question. And, you know, because, one, I want to know the reasoning why he let Clutch Sports go. You know, was it their tactics or was it his tactics? Or, you know, was it the fact that the contract hasn't got done or was it the fact that Clutch Sports was telling him to do something he wasn't comfortable with doing? I mean, there's so many questions that I think we need answered. Um, I, I don't. I, I think that contract has to get done before the season starts, but Ed will tell you, I thought the contract had to get done before training camp started. <laughs> and here we are. It's August 29th, and nothing's taken care of. So I think it needs to get done sooner rather than later to ensure that he's out there September 11th against the Chargers, but we'll see. Two names. Does either make it Luke Masterson or Isaiah Zuber? <laughs> Luke Masterson definitely <laughs> makes it. Hey, he, there's no doubt about it. He makes it in my mind. He's one of the better homegrown uh, Raider linebackers that we've seen in a long time. You know, I'm pretty excited about him. Um, I'm actually interested to see if Darian Butler also makes it. I thought on Friday they were competing for one spot. Um, and I think that Masterson is the better of the two players. So I have him penciled in as a, as a guy who makes it. Zuber is so interesting and then comes up with a what an interception <laughs> wide receiver. I'll see. I, I was so confused by that. I had no idea if that was an error on his part, but come to find out after the game, it's something that they worked on and they did it, you know, walk through. They had 
that and said, this is where you need to be, and this is why we're gonna, we might need you in this position. And he comes up with an interception by doing what he was supposed to do. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, he does have those New England ties, you know, so I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of action as far as the wide receiver goes. But with those New England ties, he, he could be that last guy to make the roster. So I think he's on the outside looking in, but you never know. This, this, uh, this regime may just pencil him in and say, yeah, we like him. Do they want him for the practice team so he can run both scout team offense and defense? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised with what they preach about versatility all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. I, when he made that interception, I said, hey, it doesn't get too much more versatile than that, a wide receiver playing safety. So if that's what they're screaming, he's, he's all that, I guess. <laughs> any idea surprises on the 53? Are we going to be surprised at all at how many running backs, how many wide receivers, or do you think in their in their minds it's pretty – well, in their minds I'm sure it's set because they're going to have to start telling guys, but in our minds is it set? Um, I think that it's going to be pretty pretty much the way we expect it to go, right? I think guys like DJ Turner, uh, the wide receiver, I think he's on the roster bubble. Wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, go. I think Amik Robertson – even though he played a good game on Friday, I think he's still on the outside looking in. I just I wasn't impressed by anything I saw from him throughout training camp or the preseason, and I think he was a guy that was clearly on the roster bubble to begin with. We already talked about Cleve Furl, uh, those kind of guys like that. Um, yeah, there's there's a couple of interesting ones out there, but for the most part, I think it's going to go the way we expect it to go. All right, Q, are you just doing Unnecessary Roughness today, or are you doing 17 other shows? <laughs> no, I'm just doing Unnecessary Roughness. I'm actually going to make an appearance at the radio station today, which is a blessing. I don't know how long it's been <laughs> since I feel like I've been there, so I'm so excited to just be in the building. But, yeah, just, just Unnecessary Roughness, 2 to 5 p.m. I don't right. know uh, how clear he sounds as if he has to even come in. He doesn't have to. Doesn't hey, have man. To. He sounds like he's uh, on the radio uh, Don't tempt already. me. Don't tempt me, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's Q Myers again. Hear him over on Red Nation Radio from 2 to 5 every Every day. Q, as always, thanks, we appreciate Q. it. Hey, thanks for having me on. You guys yeah. appreciate you. Oh, Isaiah Zuber, practice squad superstar. Going to be out there against eh, Derek Carr. Wouldn't and, be the worst thing? Uh, no. You only get, what is it? Is it 11 spots? 13 spots? Can't remember the number. But you only get so many practice squad spots. So, Oh, you get that many? Did they? I thought they upped it for COVID. Maybe okay. they, maybe right. they cut back. But okay. I thought it was double digits for COVID. And then I don't know if they kept it or not. But... Yeah, keep them. That's a lot of spots. It is. There's a lot of spots. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Golden Knights because at least one player in free agency rejected the Golden Knights this offseason. You know, it's a great organization, a great team, and, you know, uh, a win in place. And, uh, you know, when you get a chance to play on a good team that wants to win, uh, you're always looking forward to it. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. That was Phil Kessel, the newest Golden Knight, talking last week. Is that week. from his car? Uh, yes, his press yeah. conference from his car. Which, by the way, is that is that really, like, what are we doing there? Hey, Phil, you're going to have a press hey. conference today at this time? And he's like, all right, I'll do it from my car? Good for him. At least he talked right after the news broke. Okay, so you don't care where they <laughs> no, talk I don't care from. where they talk as long as they talk. <laughs> when news breaks! <laughs> I just, you know, figured, hey, Phil... Uh, we're going to do a press conference. How about uh, you come have a seat here? And here's a computer. You can <laughs> in talk in front a of a computer indoors, not in your car, on your phone. Yeah. I just figured that would be the easier way to do it, but not for Phil Kessel. Uh, so we had this interesting uh, report from Elliot Friedman, uh, who said uh, about the Phil Kessel signing, it's a move that soothes one loss that they had. And that was Paul Stasny. 
I think he turned down more money in Vegas than he got in Carolina. So Paul Stasny signed a one-year deal with the Carolina Hurricanes for $1.5 million. That is the exact same amount that Phil Kessel ended up signing with the Golden Knights, the one-year deal for $1.5 million. Do you believe it's significant that Paul Stasny turned down a Golden Knights offer and potentially took less money to go play in Carolina? I don't know. I don't know how he I don't know how he left the organization. I don't know what the feelings were when he left the organization. I don't get too fired up about stuff like this. If he if he wanted to go to Carolina, go to Carolina. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't if he rejected the Knights, we don't really know when he went out what the feelings were, um who he got along with, who he didn't get along with. So, I can't make I'm not going to make any assumptions on it because I don't know how he felt when he left. So, I don't actually think too much into the idea of you know, is he is he unhappy that he's here or whatever? Uh, I think I look more into this as if Paul Stasny wants to win the Stanley Cup, and Paul Stasny might have thought that Carolina gives him a better chance to do so than Vegas, Maybe. because we've the whole the whole idea of the Golden Knights being a good free agent destination, and we we hear it all the time about people that come here and how great of a place it is to play, and everybody should want to play here. Blah blah blah. The context to all of that is that the Golden Knights in their entire existence have been good. In the the entire existence of the franchise, they have been a cup contender. Obviously, last year they did not make the postseason, but they have never had they've never gone into an offseason until this year where they weren't expecting to contend for the Stanley Cup. And when you are, you know, signing free agents, it's obviously quite a big deal. Uh, to be contending for the Stanley Cup. teams, More players are going to want to play for you if they think you have a chance to win. And I actually wonder if Paul Stasny, if he did in fact go to Carolina over Vegas and turn down whatever, a few extra $100,000 or maybe more than that, I wonder if it's more about, hey, Paul Stasny wants to win a Stanley Cup and Paul Stasny doesn't believe or believes Carolina gives him a better shot than Vegas does to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and he's certainly in the point of his career where that could be true. Right. So that's the part. How old is Paul Stasny, by the way? He is going to be 37 this season. See. So I that's the part of me that I'm most curious about is what happens to this team free agency-wise if they're not contenders for the Stanley Cup, right? Obviously, the Golden Knights have been contending for the Stanley Cup and landing free agents, and obviously the salary cap's an issue at the moment. But over the next couple of years, if this team's not a true contender, are the Golden Knights going to be able to sign the free agents that they want to sign in the off seasons? Or are they going to have to offer more money to land guys? Is that going to the whole idea of Vegas being a great place to play? Does that run out if they're not contenders? I mean, I still think people want to come here, don't they? Yes, but I mean, I still think guys want to come here and what the perception is of how they're treated and and the town and helps that there's helps the tax situation there's a lot of good things about vegas for why they want to be here i mean unless you're max patcheretti and you need to have pressure from the media and fan base to play yeah. well <laughs> but it's it's interesting i i am very curious to see a lot of things about the golden knights over the next five years the first thing obviously how good are they are the Golden Knights able to sustain being contenders over the next five years, or is this going to fall apart? And if they are no longer a contender, 
I'm curious to see what it means for the players currently on the roster, what it means for free agents that potentially do or don't want to sign here, and what it means for the fan base. How rabid is this fan base if this is a team that is struggling to be 500 or missing the postseason multiple seasons or something like that? There's a lot of things I'm curious to see because the Golden Knights have been a tremendous uh, addition to Las Vegas as a sports team, but they've never been bad. They've had one bad season in their history, and it was last year. And listen, we made fun of them a lot for the whole injury excuses. A lot of that was self-inflicted, whatever. But in reality, the injuries had a big played a big part in why they didn't miss the postseason. Mm -hmm. They haven't really had a season where they were truly just an awful team on their own doing. And I do wonder what happens over the next five years if they do, in fact, become a bad team or just a team that isn't a true cup contender. Maybe they make, well, I don't the think playoffs. they're cup contenders this year. Right. Maybe they squeak into the playoffs because right. it's the NHL and eight teams, a lot of teams make the playoffs. You, you don't have to actually be good to make the postseason. A lot of the times. In hockey. Well, look at, they came down to the last game last, right. last they, year and they had everyone gone. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm just curious to see a lot of the next four or five years. What happens with this organization? Because internally and externally, I think there's a lot that can change. Uh, fan base wise and what happens. I'm interested to see what happens to the fan base if they go three or four years without being any good. Yeah, because for the most part, across all sports in all markets, if you go multiple years without making the postseason, your fan base doesn't necessarily dwindle, but the the intensity of the fan base dwindles significantly and your attendance will fall. And like, and I'm curious to see what would happen because they come here and it was, look how great hockey is in Las Vegas. This is a market that supports it. Market supports a winner. Look yeah. at UNLV oh, basketball. Yeah, absolutely. UNLV basketball absolutely. hasn't been good in yeah. a decade. Look at the Aces. And they've got nothing. The Aces, they're a winner. But if the Aces were here and they were the worst team in the WNBA, they wouldn't be getting 9,000 plus. Right. So I'm I'm curious to see how, how does this fan base support a team that doesn't go to the postseason and make deep runs on a regular basis? How, how well is it supported? Does How quick, basically, if the Golden Knights aren't any good, how quickly do they turn into UNLV basketball? Right. Like if they it, does it take two years or would it take seven or eight years? Because it's hard. It's hard in hockey to not go to the postseason for seven or eight years. You've got to really suck as an organization to miss the postseason seven or eight straight times. And they don't. Yeah. Like you, you've got to be really bad as an as an that, that's yeah. not as a coach or a GM that you got to be bad as an entire organization to miss that many to, in hockey to miss seven or eight straight times. So I highly doubt they do that. But what happens if they miss two or three years in a row? That's certainly plausible. And does the fan base still stick around or does it look more like UNLV basketball? It's like, oh, this isn't as great as it had been before when the team was winning all the time.